All right, as you're having a seat, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to remind you again, May 14th, we're doing our, our Grace Together, all worship on campus. Um, also, that is Mother's Day. So we don't have any service in the morning, which means you can, uh, if you're out of town, call your mom. If you're in town, take your mom to breakfast, but don't miss the opportunity. Mother's Day, May 14th, and then in the evening we'll do Grace Together. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6, going to be back in the Sermon on the Mount. But first, a story. When I was uh, late 20s, I decided I wanted to learn how to golf, and I wanted to be really good at golf, and I thought, um, this will be really easy. I grew up playing baseball. I've seen golf on TV. How hard can it be? So I bought some sticks, and I started swinging, and it was amazingly ugly. I mean, it was just like, if you are a golfer, you'll know exactly what I'm saying. All of my my shots uh, bent sharply to the right, right? It's just like, it's called a slice. And so I thought, well, the solution will be swing harder. So I, I was swinging harder, and they went further to the right. And the more that I turned to the left, the further, the further to the right that they went. And I wasn't making any progress on my own. And so I decided I should hire a professional because uh, I need help. So I went to a golf pro, and uh, first lesson, um, I took a few swings, and he watched me, and he said, you know what, um, you know, you're a reasonable athlete, probably have a pretty decent golf swing in two to three years. I was like... Two to three years, I'm thinking like two to three weeks, I'll be ready for the tour. And he's, you know, two to three years. And so, you know, this is kind of the way that I uh, approach things. I bought books and I read about golf and I read about the golf swing and I watched videos and I took more lessons and I practiced and I reached this uh, level of uh, mediocrity. So I just kind of, and I kind of plateaued there because uh, I didn't keep practicing. So I, I got better and I realized, okay, now I understand what a golf swing should feel like and look like, but I didn't keep improving because I didn't keep practicing. And I've told this story before, but I thought it was really appropriate as we're discussing prayer because uh, prayer is a lot like golf, only better, right? But, but there are a lot of similarities in how we learn things physically and how we learn things spiritually. You can put a club in a two-year-old's hand and they can swing and make contact with the ball, but if they want to get good, they've got to keep learning and listening and practicing and imitating, and then you can get better and better and better. And the same thing in our spiritual lives with prayer. We we listen and we learn and we imitate prayers in the Bible, people around us who pray, and we practice. And the more that we do, our relationship with God can go deeper and deeper and deeper and more intimate. But if we don't practice, we're not going to grow closer. And so what I want for us in this series is that we kind of would think of it as a kind of lecture lab, right? We're going to talk about prayer in here. And then I want you to take what we talk about and put it into the lab of life each week and practice what we're doing. So let's start this morning by reviewing where we were last week. I want you to read with me chapter 6 and verse 5 as we listen to Jesus instruct us on prayer. He said, when you pray, assuming that we would pray, people just pray. They need to pray. They want to pray, assuming that we would pray, but not that we would do it well but that we would need to listen and learn and practice. So he says, when you pray, don't pray like this. You are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need 
before you ask him. So Jesus says, when you pray, assuming you will pray, don't pray like this. Don't, under, don't misunderstand the nature of prayer. It's communication with your heavenly father. So don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray to impress other people. Don't pray for show. This is between you and the Lord. And you may not get every word right, and it may not sound beautiful, but the more that you practice, that's the way that relationships work. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. But don't pray for other people, and don't pray for them to see you pray. This is about you and your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Second, don't pray like the Gentiles who just use meaningless repetition because they not only misunderstand the nature of prayer, they misunderstand the nature of who God actually is. You don't have to wake him up. You don't have to uh, convince him. You don't have to manipulate him. He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to listen and respond to your prayers. So don't misunderstand what's actually transpiring in prayer. And Jesus will go on to say, instead, pray like this. Verse 9, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The Lord's Prayer is given to us not as a formula, ironically, to repeated, be repeated over and over and over again without thinking, as many people do, but it's, it's a template, right, or a model it's a paradigm for approaching God as he is and according to what he values. That's the point of the Lord's Prayer. Big idea is this. God wants us to draw near. Here we have a loving Heavenly Father who invites us, who encourages us, who challenges us, who even commands us to draw near, but to draw near as he is and consistent with what he values, not with what we imagine him to be. And so the Lord's Prayer, in a sense, is this reorientation of ourselves toward God. So should we make requests of God? Absolutely. We're going to actually talk about that next week. But the requests grow out of an intimate relationship where we understand who God is and what he values, right? So remembering who God is and our relationship with him comes first, and then the requests come after that. So what God is doing, or Jesus is doing, is he's, in a sense, just repositioning us, reorienting us toward who God is and what actually matters. So let me give you a visual metaphor. Uh, every once in a while, I will hop into my wife's car to drive her car uh, somewhere, and I just forget, I just quickly jump in, and I forget that uh, I'm 6'1", and she's 5'6", five, six, five six, right? So I just jump in, and I smash my knees on the ba dashboard, and I've got to slow down, and I move the seat back, and I adjust the side view mirror on one side, I adjust the side view mirror on the other side, I readjust the rear view mirror, I have to get reoriented, and then I can move forward. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. First things first. What Jesus says is this. First things first. Draw near to God as our Father. Top ten theological concepts in the Bible. The fatherhood of God is probably near the top. If you look throughout the Old Testament, God is described as the father of Israel, but interestingly... People didn't actually pray to him so much as father and more so much as Lord, right? So he's the father of Israel, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, but people didn't address him in these familiar 
in really intimate terms. So when Jesus shows up and actually begins to pray to God as his own father, it was really unsettling for people. This was new. It was fresh. Uh, actually made the, uh, the Pharisees very angry because they're like, you act like you know God. And you act like you have a personal relationship with God. And Jesus says, yes, I do. And I want all of my followers to pray to him in exactly the same way. Because they have that relationship with God as father. It's a relationship of intimacy. And so the early church grabbed this vocabulary that Jesus used. And when they would address God, they would call him Abba, which is an Aramaic term that means dad or daddy. Father. It's a term of intimacy. Now, I remember when I was growing up, some of my, my friends would uh, call their dad by his first name. Have you ever heard friends do that? And every time that happened, I'm like, ooh, you know, that just doesn't feel right. That doesn't sound right. And I remember first time that my kids did that, I go, nope, <laughs> I'm not Brian to you. In fact, there are only two people who've ever existed in all of human history who get to call me dad or daddy. So don't call me Brian. I wanted for a long time to be a dad. Call me dad. In fact, it was kind of sad when it went from daddy to dad because I wanted them to feel safe in my presence and to understand the uniqueness of my relationship with them and them to me. And Jesus says, this is special. God invites you into his presence as a son, as a daughter, and so you can call him father. It's a term of intimacy. You can call him Abba, dad, or daddy. Now, that said, for some of us, we get into this discussion of the fatherhood of God, and there are uh, just historical connotations in our own world, maybe that aren't as pleasant. Maybe you, your dad wasn't present, or maybe your dad uh, wasn't a great father. And so you've got to, uh, in a sense, allow God the Father to kind of remake your understanding of what it means to be a good, good father. So you can imagine, even if you didn't experience it here on earth, what does a good father do? What is a good father like? Let me give you a few characteristics. Uh, I had a really good father. Not a perfect father, but I had a good father. Uh, my father had wisdom. God our father has wisdom. Right? God our father, he sees everything. He knows everything. He knows the best decision. He knows the best path forward. He's not confused or shaken by anything. He can solve problems. Uh, that's, that's who God is. I remember growing up, uh, if I had a, a problem with a friend or if I had a math problem or if the chain came off my bike right, or if I had a problem with a bully, I could go to my dad and my dad would have solutions. He could solve things. Our Heavenly Father has all wisdom. He knows how life works best. He knows how your life works best. Right? That's a good father. Uh, second, a, a good father is strong. Now, what kid hasn't said my daddy can beat up your daddy, right? Everybody says that. My daddy can beat up your daddy. Now, my dad never beat up other dads or other third grade bullies because he also has wisdom. But the point is he could have, right? Because <laughs> he's strong. And I always thought of my dad as strong. My dad is strong. Our Heavenly Father is strong. He is God Almighty. So God, our Heavenly Father, has all wisdom. He has all strength, all power. He also gives us unconditional love, which is where our minds often jump to first. We think about a father. What do we want most? We want unconditional love. When we fail or when we succeed, he loves us. We don't have to meet some standard to be loved. In fact, when we sin or when we fail, he doesn't love us less. When we succeed, he doesn't love us more. He loves us perfectly 
without condition at all times. Man, isn't that amazing? Always welcomed into his love. It's always surrounding us. That's a good father. All wisdom, all strength, all power, unconditional love, and also provision. He has what we need. Right? He provides for our needs. You know, I didn't discover until uh, much later in life uh, how poor we were when I was born. But, you know, my parents got married really early, and then they had my sister, and then they had me, and my dad was still trying to finish undergrad career, so he was, he was working, and mom's working. They're just, they're really, you know, I, they were struggling. And I didn't realize it until much later, because I never missed a meal. I never worried that all my needs would be met. That's your Heavenly Father. Everything that you need from God, God is. Get that? Everything that you need from God as your Father, God is. So Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven. So Father is a term of intimacy. Father is also a term of transcendence and accountability. So when I got in trouble at school, or I got in trouble in the neighborhood, or if I got in trouble with mom, when I got home, I knew I would be in even bigger trouble with dad, right? I mean, dad, dad enforced justice, so to speak, in my life. But I didn't ever worry when he was disciplining me or training me that he had stopped loving me. And for some of us, that's, that's where the, the, the rub is. Your, your heavenly father can love you perfectly and unconditionally and because he loves you perfectly and unconditionally, he will also discipline you and he will train you because he doesn't want you to stay as you are. He wants you to become more and more and more like him. As Jesus says this, when you pray, pray like this, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Sorry, losing control here for a second. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2, Solomon said, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought, to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Now, Solomon is not saying pray less. What he's saying is when you enter into the presence of God, remember who God is. Remember that he is king of kings and lord of lords. He's sovereign over all the universe. He's also your father. Father is a term of intimacy. It's also a term of respect. So when you come into his family as your father, it's going to change the things that you value. Now, all of this uh, assumes that you actually know God as your father, right? The only way that you can know God as your father is if you come through Jesus as his son. So Jesus would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father but through me. When Jesus prayed, he prayed to God as his father, And he invited all of his followers to pray to God as his father. But there was one occasion in Jesus' life where he didn't pray to God as his father. Do you remember what it was? Only one time. He always prayed to God as his father, except for one time. Do you remember when it was? When he's hanging on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he was carrying the sins of all of the world, and the sins of the world created a separation between him and his father. And he didn't cry out to God as his father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because sin had created separation. Your sin creates separation from you and God. So we're not actually born into this world, in a sense, as God's sons and daughters. We have to be adopted into his family when we receive the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. 
So the moment that we do and we accept what Jesus did on the cross paying our debt of sin, that debt is removed and God can look upon us now as sons and daughters because we've come through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And then we begin to pray to God as our heavenly father and we're in the family of God and and our value system and our lives begin to be changed, right? Because we're in a different family. We're in a new family. That's honestly like, if I can put that in an earthly analogy, that's why we do premarital counseling, because people come from these different families, and they're about to make a new family, and they just assume that the new family will be exactly like their old family, and we got to work through all these really weird expectations, because you're not going to reproduce your family. It's a new family. We come into God's family, and all those things have to be reshaped and reformed, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, in our family, we eat ham on Easter, and we eat turkey on Thanksgiving, and tamales on Christmas Eve, right? And you go, well, isn't that what everybody does? No, they don't. They don't all do that. And one person comes in and says, well, you know, we always called my dad Frank. And you go, no, you're not going to call me Frank. I want to be called dad. Also, Frank's not my name. So, you know, you got (laughs) to, this is a new family. You come into God's family, what happens? Everything gets reshaped. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, "Let let me reorient you to who God is and what it means to be a part of his family. When you approach him, draw near. He invites you, but draw near as he is. God is our heavenly father. It's a term of intimacy. It's also a term of transcendence. So we can rush in joyfully, but also respectfully into the family of God. Jesus says, pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let me respect what you respect. In our family, when the kids were little, there were things that mattered to me and things that didn't matter to me. I didn't, I wasn't really worried if they didn't pick up their rooms all the time. Like, you know, we can just allow a little mess there. That's, I'll let that be your domain. But the common area, that's got to be clean. You can't mess up the common area. And so in our family too, like I had a little, I have little mantras and little phrases that I was trying to embed values into my kids. So one of them was break a sweat every day, right? I want my kids to be active. You know, don't be lazy, get moving, right? Break a sweat every day. And I would tell them, uh, find a job, do a job. Don't, don't wait to be asked. You just walk in, you see something, just get on it, right? And one of my others was, leave it better than you found it. So you come into the common area, you don't mess it up, you actually make it better, right? So just let that be embedded. And these are my values, and I get to impose my values because I am king, right? This is my domain. I am sovereign. Under Tristy's authority, I'm sovereign <laughs> in my domain, so here are my values. Jesus says, what does God value? Our Father who is in heaven Hallowed be your name. She says, start right here. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed. What in the world does that word mean? (laughs) I'm going to guess that none of you have ever used hallowed in a normal conversation, ever. Probably the only time you used the word hallowed was when you were mindlessly repeating the Lord's Prayer, right? (laughs) Hallowed. What does it mean? Is it related to Halloween? Yes, it is actually related to Halloween. The words are related. It means holy or set apart. What is Halloween? It's the holy evening before saints' day. What are saints? Saints are holy ones. They are the ones who are set apart. Hallowed means to set something apart, to regard it as special and unique and important and valuable. Jesus says, start your prayer right here because this is what matters to God. Holy, set apart, distinct be your name. What is the name of God? It represents the person of God, the personality of God. 
the attributes of God, his characteristics, all of his works. May it be set apart, may it be known, may it be distinct. That is, God, may your reputation be consistently displayed in my life and in the world. The opposite of hallowing something is to treat it as common. May I not disrespect who you are in the things that I say or the things that I do. Instead, may everything that I say and do be consistent with who you are. May my life be aligned with who you are. Now, let me give you an illustration of regarding something as common. Uh, years ago, I went into the gym, and I was working out, and there was a, a young guy, and we just, we just kept kind of crossing paths in the gym. It was a smaller gym at the time. And I noticed he was wearing a Christian T-shirt, right? So he's got all the Christian images on the front, and there's a verse on the back. And he's wearing a cross. He's also wearing a ball cap that says, porn star. Right? Yeah, you, you want to laugh because it's shocking. You're like, okay, Christian shirt, cross, porn star hat. And, you know, something that was just tweaked in my soul, and you may say, no, you, you wouldn't do it, Brent. I did. I, you know, I'm like, eventually, after like 30 minutes, I just, I just had to go up to him, and I go, hey, I just noticed, <laughs> right? I was noticing I, that, you know, I just couldn't help but notice. Really, I mean, you got a Christian shirt on, you're wearing a cross. Also, your, your ball cap says, says porn star, and I'm just wondering, does that like seem a little inconsistent to you? Is that just kind of not really fit together? Because, right, like Jesus died for stuff like this, that we wouldn't be broken and enslaved. And, you know, is that, and no kidding, like he stared at me for a minute and walked away. <laughs> I mean, and I think, okay, so maybe I should have started with the gospel. But I didn't. <laughs> I just went right at the commonness how his life was reflecting God. So remember in the Ten Commandments, don't take the Lord's name in vain means don't regard God as common. But what does God value? He values that his name, his reputation would be known truthfully and accurately everywhere. That's what God cares about. So Jesus says, start with this. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Let your name be hallowed. These are the things that matter to God. And if I know someone and I love someone, I want to understand more deeply what do they value. And when I interact with that person, I want to interact consistent with what they value, right? Because that's regarding them as special. Uh, in our house, January 8th is a special day. We celebrate January 8th. January 8th is Elvis's birthday. It's also Tristy's birthday. And so we celebrate uh, Tristy on that day. And when I celebrate my wife, I want to celebrate her, uh, in a sense, as she is. Not as I might regard her to be, my, not as I want her to be, but as she actually is. So if you know my wife, one of the things I don't do is I don't show up on her birthday with a really nice card and a gift card that says, broccoli for life, right? I mean, that's just like, she doesn't value that. She's actually sent me articles about the chemicals in broccoli and why it smells to some people and how horrible it is. And so I'm not even allowed like to cook broccoli or eat broccoli in her house because she doesn't value it. So if I show up and say, hey, broccoli for life, you go, do you really know your wife? No, no. So instead, on one of her birthdays, I bought her a paper shredder. Like legit, I bought her a paper shredder because she asked for a paper shredder. And so I bought her like this professional grade paper shredder and a 
big thing of oil for it so she could just shred and shred and shred and keep shredding, right? Because that's what she asked for. That's what she wanted. She goes, that would just be so fun and relaxing because we have this stack of old bills and we, we need to get rid of them. And I could just sit there and I'd feel so accomplished. I could just shred and shred and shred. She asked for a paper shredder. She wanted it. She longed for it. And so I gave her a paper shredder and a big thing of oil, just shred and shred and shred. I also gave her turquoise earrings. Because I know my wife, and if I just showed up with a paper shredder and nothing else, ah, that's sort of good, but sort of not good, right? So January 8th, we celebrate my wife as she is, right? And what she values. Jesus says, let me get you oriented to who God is. Start here. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, distinct, holy, set apart, be your name, your reputation. Second, it says, not only regard God or draw near as your father, draw near to God as our king. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What matters to God, his name, his reputation, his kingdom, his will. And what's interesting here is the form of this is actually a command. You're, you're beseeching God, almost commanding God, God, make it happen. Make your kingdom come. Make your kingdom arrive. Lord, bring it back. Cause it to happen. The kingdom of God is probably the, the most broad concept that links all of the Bible together. God rules over all things, but we don't see it right now. Okay? Everything belongs to him because he made all things, but we don't see him ruling over all things. Instead, we see a world in rebellion against him. And so Jesus says, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is happening in heaven? Well, everyone's submitting to the kingdom and will of God. Jesus is saying, pray for this. Pray that God would make it happen. Pray that God would make it happen. In fact, what's interesting is that the very final chapter of the Bible itself, Revelation chapter 22, it ends like this. Jesus says, yes, I am coming quickly. And John says, yes, amen, truly, right, please, Lord, come. Lord, come. The early church picked up this theme, and they would pray consistently as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 16, Maranatha, which means, Lord, come. Lord, come. Things are broken. This is, this is the cry of a people who are longing for Jesus to return, who are dissatisfied with the world, who haven't, who haven't invested everything, all their time and energy and money into the world. They're not loving the world. Instead, they're saying, you know, we see the brokenness, and we know Jesus' return can set all things right. And we're not going to keep loving the world and the things of the world. We're going to love, for, love and long for Jesus' return. We see, we see sin and we see sickness and we see natural disasters and we see human-caused disasters. And we're saying, Lord, come quickly. Make your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth right now as it is in heaven. And what Jesus says is it's not just a future thing and it's not just a thing generically for all peoples. It's actually very personal. Let your will be done in my life. This is also a prayer of personal consecration, right? It's not just an eschatological, end times, make it happen, set all things right. But as we wait for that, may your will be done in my life. I will confess that every single morning my will has been restored by sleep and it is back intact. And I'm thinking to myself as I rise, I know best. I got a plan for the day and I know best. And this prayer is a reminder that we don't know best, that God knows best, and that his will is best, and that we have to do 
what we have to do every single day, and I would argue sometimes throughout the day, is we surrender. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. It's a prayer of consistent, continuous consecration because I have a will and I have little kingdoms that I like to build. And I have to remember and remind myself that everything that God has planned is best. Not just for the history of the world, but for my life today. And I can trust him in that. And so I turn it over and I say, your will be done. And I will tell you, this is the hardest prayer. It is also the most freeing prayer. And the nice thing is that Jesus doesn't command us to do something that he didn't do himself. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is about to go to the cross. And it says he prayed earnestly, meaning he was, he was uh, struggling. The idea is that he was struggling in prayer. And he kept going back to the Father. Three times are recorded. And he said, Father, here's my will. My will is that I don't go to the cross. My will is that the cup of suffering and separation would pass away from me. I wouldn't have to go. That's my will. But what I want even more than my will is I want your will. So not my will, but yours be done. And he surrendered in that moment. He consecrated himself. So Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he himself didn't do. And he also, in his, uh, the description, reminds us that it's going to be a struggle. But when we surrender and we say, Jesus, whatever it is that you have for me today, I trust your, your wisdom, I trust your goodness, I trust your power, I trust your unconditional love for me that you know what's best and you can accomplish what's best, I surrender all. So this is where Jesus says, you got to start. This is where you start. Our Father, who loves us unconditionally, with whom we are safe and secure, who also is in heaven, who's transcendent. He's God, we're not God, we're not his equal. But the creator of the universe and the sustainer and judge of all things invites us to come into his presence boldly, courageously, to be wrapped in his love. Why would we not take advantage of that? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, set apart, holy be your reputation in, in all of the earth, but especially in my life. Would I live consistently with who you actually are? Hallowed, holy, set apart, be your name. Your kingdom come, because things are broken here on earth, and I don't, I don't love this earth, and I see the brokenness, and I'm not going to put all of my treasures in this earth. I'm going to put my treasures in your coming kingdom. Would you bring it quickly? Your kingdom come. Make it happen. Your will be done, not just generically among the peoples, but may your will be done in my life. I surrender all. I give you everything in my life. When we pray those prayers, that's our starting point. That reorients us to who God is and what really matters in life. And God gets to choose what matters because he made everything. Right? So this is the prayer where we get back in line the nature and attributes and purposes of God on the earth. Now, how do we apply this? Um, remember, this. So that was the lecture part. Now here's the lab. Okay, here's, here's the lab. Um, I want to encourage you every morning to put your Bible on top of your phone, open it to uh, Matthew chapter 6. So the first thing you do when you get up is I want you to reread the Lord's Prayer and say, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, whatever it is you have for me today, I know your plan is best. I embrace whatever it is you bring me. I surrender all, right? So put that on top of your phone, grab it first, read the Lord's Prayer, 
you're reading the Lord's Prayer and you're surrendering everything, ask the Lord just to speak into your heart and see if there's anything that you're actually clinging to right now and you're thinking, you know, my way is best, my kingdom is best, am I clinging to anything, right? So that's, that's more every morning. Pick it up, Lord's Prayer is first this week. Uh, second, I added five minutes to your assignment, right? Last week was 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, make a, an appointment. Make an appointment during a time when you can not be distracted, but you can be um, just alone with the Lord. Again, read through the Lord's Prayer. Think of it as a template. Uh, let it guide your prayer. Uh, begin to ask him for the things that are on your heart. Ask big and bold because your Heavenly Father loves to do good things and give good things. Uh, I'd encourage you to maybe write it down so you can see the really specific answers to God's prayer. Um, if you are a father and you have young kids at home, I want to remind you again, make space for your wife to have this 20 minutes a day. Make it easy for her to have some undistracted time. Um, another resource, I put a couple, uh, well, we got the Wednesday night prayer t- things next couple weeks, but also on our website there's resources. And then a, another resource I just want to point out to you is, um, this one's called A Way to Pray. This is by Matthew Henry, but then it was, the vocabulary was updated by O. Palmer Robertson. Um, I've recommended this before. I just, I love this. I love this book. Uh, in the past when I've recommended it, I've gotten online and it kind of comes in print and out of print. And last time I recommended it, it was like on sale at Amazon for 50 bucks. I was like, ooh, that's not good. Students, poor. So um, I got online yesterday. There are used copies of this for 15 bucks. And what he does is he takes verses of the Bible and he links them together and he kind of paraphrases and he makes prayers out of the text of the Bible, and he's got them in categories. So there's a section on adoration and a section on confession, a section on thanksgiving, a section on our requests or supplication. And then toward the end, he's got a section where he, he paraphrases the Lord's Prayer. And I want to pray a few of these um, words of paraphrase from Matthew Henry from this book over you this morning. He writes, Let the kingdom of your grace be manifest more and more throughout our land and in the places where we live. Let your gracious kingdom permeate all of our lives so that our bodies can be proper temples of the Holy Spirit. Rule in us by your truth as people of the truth. Enable us to always hear Christ's voice. Let the love of Christ control and constrain us Let our eyes be fixed on fearing him so that we will not sin. Let your glorious kingdom come quickly. Inspire us to believe it is coming soon. Move us to look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, to come in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Keep us hoping that he will appear soon to inspire our joy. Teach us to love the prospect of his appearing. Let us look forward constantly to the arrival of the day of God. Make us ready so that we can lift up our heads with joy, knowing that our redemption is drawing near. Would you pray with me? As you are bowing in prayer, I'd like you to take just a few moments quietly, silently before the Lord and ask his spirit to to speak. If there's something in your life that you're clinging to and you're saying, my will, my kingdom, that you would just turn that over to the Lord right now. Just take a few moments quietly before the Lord and then I'll pray for us.
Father, forgive us for thinking that we know best, that there's some kingdom that we could build that would actually last. Forgive us for that. Pray that you point that, point out those areas to us in our lives where we're just clinging to stuff and we're not just surrendering. Father, I thank you that we can come boldly and confidently into your presence, that, that you um, call us your sons and your daughters. And the creator of the universe would, would eagerly welcome us to be in his presence. That's just a remarkable thing. I pray that we would not take that lightly. Father, I pray that our lives this week would be aligned with uh, who you are and what you value. We do pray for your kingdom to come, for you to, to set all things right sooner rather than later. And as we wait in the brokenness of this world, I pray that we would not love the world, but instead that we would um, love what you actually value. And we would live for what you value. Pray that we would go deeper with you in our, in our intimacy and understanding as we pray this week. We ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus who makes it possible for us to be sons and daughters. Amen.